0: Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. Welcome back to the Lead Them to Worship series, a series where we're wrestling with what does it mean to worship, uh, what is uh, a proper theology when it comes to worship, and how to think critically about worship ministry. We're doing both here, folks. We're thinking about music, we're thinking about ministry as well, and for today's episode we're doing a book review you know we do we're this is like a academic ish style podcast so it's it's worth worth diving into books every once in a while and for the first time on the show i've got a guest to review a book with normally you have to listen to my book reports by myself i did a book report with somebody this time he's not here to review a movie he's here to actually talk about theology this time my brother bradley bradley welcome back to the show
1: Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be back on the topic of worship. I think the first time you had me, we talked about worship and ministry. And then we did a little fun stuff, recess, and uh, full, court. full court miracle. I almost said Luck of the Irish. Maybe we could do that in March, but full court miracle. And now here we are back on things that matter, leading people to worship.
0: Yes, yes you are my resident uh, worship leader. You you were the resident worship leader at our household for for a long time, and uh, you were a worship leader for five years five years uh at a church and occasionally step into worship ministry roles here and there since then uh today we're going to be talking about the book holy roar by darren whitehead and chris tomlin yes that chris tomlin like uh the guy who the only chris tomlin the guy who's been writing all the worship songs for since our childhood at least um you have again being a part of worship ministry. You have spent a lot of time studying worship. You didn't go to college for music or worship ministry or anything like that, but you have taken it upon yourself to do the research and to do the studying, which is always something that I we recommend here on the show to do your do your own research if you're going to be a part of, you know, a ministry or involved in a church somehow, it's always good to find good books. It's always good to find good people to listen to teach on the subject. So I'll let you start. When it comes to, you've got a couple books laid out here in front of you, along with Holy Roar. Why did you read Holy Roar? And then tell us a little bit about some of the other books that you have read in worship ministry.
1: Well, you hit it right on the head. I mean, I didn't go to school for music or there's whole worship pastor degrees, worship leader degrees, stuff like that. So I wanted to see and learn more about worship as music and not just worship as your lifestyle. Um, I've said on this podcast before, we kind of blend those words together now. Uh, Marketing and mainstream worship, everybody thinks of just music. So I want to specify that this is worship as music. Um, The first book was given to me. This is my favorite book still. Um, It's called Worship Matters. I've actually talked about it on the first time I was on this podcast, and it's a basic uh, how-to, talking about are you called, uh, your team, the church, how to do uh, worship for your church specifically, healthy tension, because there's always going to be tension. It's pretty much, if I was going to teach a class, this is going to be the book, because it's just a straightforward how-to. Now, before I go on to the other two, uh, you asked me why I picked up Holy Roar. Similarly to what I was just singing, saying, I started with Worship Matters and had a couple other books after that, kind of hit or miss, things I didn't necessarily agree with, and I was like, okay, well, this one's written by Chris Tomlin. (laughs) I have to agree with it, right? (laughs) So I picked it up, not knowing uh, what Chris Tomlin's writing style was like, and we'll talk about the content of the book in a second, but I found it really encouraging, and Darren Whitehead, who pretty much wrote the entirety of the book... um, really dives deep into the seven words that will change how you worship. So my other two favorite worship books, the second one is rhythms of grace. I kind of say it is the unofficial sequel to worship matters because the guy who wrote worship matters, he did the forward for rhythms of grace. So it's like the unofficial one rhythms of grace is more about, uh, helping Christians think more theologically. I think a lot of, uh, not just this modern gen Z, and millennial worship leaders, but worship leaders throughout time kind of just go for song after song after song, and they play the most popular radio hits, and they don't really think about what it is just because they know that the church is going to sing it. So this kind of dives into the history of the church and the direction it's going. And one of the reasons I like it is because in the back, it gives you um, different layouts for different services you can do and different transitions. This book helps a lot with transitions. And then finally, a bonus book, Doxology and Theology, still digging into the theology behind songs and behind the worship leader as a whole. So those are my three, Worship Matters, Rhythms of Grace, Doxology,
0: and Theology. All right. So uh, one follow-up question. So you mentioned, you know, you've you read some of these books and you went, oh, some of these are not great. I am curious, oh, uh, what when you're looking for these books and you start reading them you go oh that's not great like what exactly is it that kind of like makes you steer the other direction with some of these some of them
1: and I don't can't think of the word to describe it it's kind of just like fluff uh you can tell it's less theology and more emotion driven and more feely um we'll talk about one of the words in Hebrew that means uh spontaneous, which is part of worship, but some of the books are mainly focused on spontaneous worship and focused on you as the person and stuff like that. So when I feel like the art of the music takes away from the heart of God, then you really lose traction.
0: That makes sense. I thought maybe that's what you were going to say, but I was curious if it was like a book about, you know, stage lighting and things like that. I do like this uh, lineup that you have here, though, because you have, like, your your very practical, like, what this is, and you also have this, like, thinking theologically with this rhythms of grace and the doxology and theology. And Holy Roar even, too, as you've alluded to, and we'll get into more in a moment, is uh, dealing with Hebrew, The the exact Hebrew words used throughout the Book of Psalms to talk about Uh, praise and worship so you you do have like what would probably be the essential reading for a worship class maybe we'll build one on google classroom sometime um as you were talking i was trying to think this is you know i think this is an important topic obviously we're doing a whole series here on the show about it but i have not devoted a lot of time to this topic because I'm not the worship leader in the family. I was I was the preacher. We got the package deal out of the first two. Um, Holy Roar, obviously read it for this and for another project I was working on. Um, as you were talking about Rhythms of Grace and talking about how this is a good book on like... Kind of steering away from this mentality of let's just sing the most current whatever it is the top forty worship song right now and thinking critically about the theology. I don't know if this necessarily would count, but talked about on the show before, Claire and I for our Christmas Advent reading, we have a devotional that each day uh, goes over the history and theology of different Christmas hymns, which I think you know that is. I think it's part of, it should be part of the process as well, is kind of understanding like where we got these songs and what they're actually trying to teach. And, you know, this book has we both grew up in Baptist churches. You grew up, you know, with me in Baptist churches where we sang hymns pretty regularly, and there's carols in here we have never heard of. So it was also just very interesting to get a broader look at Christmas music rather than just Joy to the World, Hark herald Old Angel Sings, uh uh Come, Come, Emmanuel, and just get like a broader swing. The only other book I've read before on worship, kind of, is David Crowder's Praise Habit, which is a book about the subtitle is Finding God in Sunset and Sushi I can't say it back to back. Finding God in Sunsets in Sushi which is also one of the David Crowder bands. It's a remix album they did after Illuminate, uh, which the, the goofiness of that title is supposed to be about how we can find God in the highs and lows of life and be able to worship him, praise habit, having a habit of praise in the highs and lows of life. So the first little bit of the book is breaking that down. And then the rest of it is kind of devotionals kind of a commentary through different psalms so uh would also recommend that one because i like david crowder but Mm -hmm. you do get this little bit of like a commentary on uh the psalms and this like posture of being in worship daily no matter what the circumstances may be you ready to get into holy roar okay so msl listeners you know that my favorite books are the ones that are short, packed with information, and really easy to read. And I don't know about you, but I think Holy Roar does make that. I think it does accomplish that. Would you like to tell us, high level, what this book is about?
1: Yeah, so Chris Tomlin, he goes to City at the Church in Nashville, and that is the where Pastor Darren Whitehead is pastoring <laughs> City at Church of the City, excuse me, I said it wrong. Church of the City in Nashville. And Chris Tomlin, he says in his introduction, obviously he's always on tour. He's always leading worship at different churches. So uh, he came back to his home church, Church of the City, and he's excited to hear his pastor preach. And his pastor gets up there and says, today we're going to talk about worship. And Chris was so upset. He said, I talk about worship all the time. That's my whole thing. Why are we going to talk about worship? Couldn't you talk about something else? And then he said immediately, his heart was changed and he felt like the rest of the congregations was as well. Uh, Darren Whitehead went back through the old Testament and talked about the seven different words for worship. Cause just like we have worship meaning different things for us or the word love uh, meaning different things or hot or cold or cool stuff like that. There's different words in the Hebrew for worship. So he goes through at the beginning of the chapter and breaks down the word and the verse and how we can apply it today. And then Chris Tomlin goes to the second half of the chapter and talks about one of his songs and how it was written and how that Hebrew word applies to that song.
0: So, as Bradley said, there are seven words, which is so fascinating. We always talk about the Greek love, how it's four different things. This was the very first time after several years of academic studying that I learned that... There were seven words for praise. Um, never hear about that. Clearly, Chris Tomlin, who is a guy who writes worship music, must have not have known that either. Um, so each chapter is one of these, like Bradley was saying, was focused on one of these words. And then we get a little blip from Chris Tomlin relating it to one of his songs as well. We're not going to go over all seven words today because, obviously... We would encourage you to get this book and read it for yourself. You can head on over to the My Seminary Life website, which you can find a link for in the description of this episode, Um, and head on over to the resource section and see a list of all of the books that I have recommended throughout the years here on the show. We'll add this one to the list as well with a link to Amazon to pick it up. So we encourage you check this book out but we are going to take the next couple minutes here to talk about three we've picked out three that we want to highlight for you all today and uh, I'm going to let Bradley go first he's going to also I took very little Hebrew you haven't taken Hebrew at all so for all you Hebrew scholars listening to the show have grace for us because we're going to butcher these words we're going to do our best but we're going to it's not going to be great So
1: the first word we're going to talk about, it's chapter one. It's called Yadah. Uh, It's to revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands, to throw a stone or arrow. And the verse that he pulls is, the main verse is Psalm 67, three, which says, may the people praise you, praise beating Yadah. May all the people praise you. So he talks about how this verb is actually used 111 times throughout the Bible. And as Brandon said, we both grew up in Baptist churches. We were always told to focus on the words and not the emotions and not the feelings. And uh, this is a very dangerous topic to start off the book with. Uh, Some people are very passionate about, do not show any sort of expression, just sing the song. And other people are just straight up, this is what I do. As soon as the drums start playing, as soon as the first note hits, I'm going to to raise my hands. And it's a very dangerous topic. Because you don't want to judge somebody else's actions, but you also want to be mindful of everybody else. Um, I do like the word yada because um, I think so often the people that don't want to raise their hands think it's because it is um, too joking and you're making it about yourself. When we see in the Bible, it's completely opposite. 111 times in the Old Testament, uh, they show this form of expression that David is raising his hands in worship. He talks about it so many times in the Psalms. And I mean, we know that the Psalms aren't even written all by David. So I don't know if you want to talk about Yada a little bit, but it is cool to see that, like you said, there's seven different words. And as Chris Tomlin pointed out, by the time Darren finished the seven words, um, he challenged them and said, as we conclude our service today, let us worship with this in mind. And the people just completely changed their style of worship that day.
0: That's very impactful, you know, just to start there for a second of just like, that is what you hope for when you preach is change. You know, you're hoping, you're praying that the Holy Spirit is going to change people to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, and to, in this very specific case, worship God properly, which does include our expression. Uh, of our emotion, our expression of our emotions. Um, There's a famous parable uh, that is often accredited to Soren Kierkegaard, shout out existentialism, um, that he tells this story about one day, one Sunday morning, all the ducks went to church. They quacked their hymns. They quacked their duck prayers and the duck pastor got up to preach his duck message. And his message was, Ducks, we can fly. And the ducks waddled out, quacking amen. So it's just this kind of goofy story. I don't know why it has to be ducks, but I like ducks, so it's fine. Um, but it's this kind of goofy story to show how often we, we go through the motions at church, and we hear the word of God, and we are reminded of these truths that are to change how we live our lives. And we say amen and waddle out. You know, so uh, that's very encouraging to hear when it came comes to this topic that the people were like moved by the spirit to um, respond so quickly.
1: Yes. And Darren concludes his section of the writing with Psalm 44, verse eight, which says in God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. So he writes one day we will Yada our God forever and ever. Shouldn't we start practicing now?
0: That's good. That's really good. I don't know if I've ever heard Darren Whitehead preach, but that's a that was that's a good word there. Um, I, this is another one of those words. It shows up, you know, in the Greek and in the Hebrew. That I just find it very interesting. This is just like a what is that word? Epistemological observation of the fact that. It means all these like, to worship with your hands raised, to raise your hand to God, but also it was used to say, to throw a stone or arrow. Mm-hmm. like, And that's interesting too, because it's like, that's a motion, right. you know? So it's almost, you know, that's a throwing motion that you're doing. So like, you, it's raising of hands, but it's almost like a motion mm-hmm. along with the raising, which I find very interesting. I'm not saying that, you know, when you raise your hands in church that you have to like, you know, do the wave or something like that. But there is, there is motion behind what we're doing. Why is it, if I could just get your opinion on this, cause I'm sure there's a lot of opinions on this. Cause you hit it, you hit a, on it when we started this talk is that this is a very dangerous place to start because there is still to this day a whole branch of Christianity that is very uncomfortable with being expressive in church now there's another side of Christianity that might be a little oh also our studio audience did chime in that unless it's VBS unless it is VBS if children are involved in the worship then we can have hand motions Um, but when it's just the adult's they're very uncomfortable by this, uh, and then there's another side of Christianity that might be a little too expressive. Not really here to talk about that, though. Um, so why? I mean, you've gone through this experience before, being a worship pastor. What is is there a reason? Is it just the ol, ever old so, old-fashioned old answer of tradition? This is just the way we do things around here. Like, what is what is the issue here?
1: Yeah, the old school people might chime it up uh, to—well, I don't want to call them old school. The people that don't want to do it, they chime it up to you're disrespecting sovereignty and you're um, disrespecting—you're drawing all the attention to you. And sometimes it's true that that could be done. Um, And that's why I said you got to be careful how you do it, right? Um, In some churches, it's just like this one, you have to know your congregation, um, even though— Like we just talked about, Yoda is kind of called upon for us to do, but um, some people aren't are uncomfortable with it, so they just think it's bad. Um, And then on the opposite side, which before I say that, our studio audience, as you called them, brought up a very good point. They're okay with it if it's VBS, but isn't it funny that Scripture tells us that we're supposed to have childlike faith? Also true. Anyway, on the opposite side, (laughs) on the opposite side, you have the people that do it instantly, and we have a wave of. Christianity where it's just all emotion if I don't have an emotional connection on Sunday then I didn't have a true spirit of feelings and we didn't connect with God that week and that's just not the case so some people are just taught you have to lift your hands period no matter what no matter how you're feeling and others people are just taught that it's just pure disrespect but everybody worships in their own way
0: I wonder if you could have that same argument with the non-expression making it about yourself mm-hmm. like you're going to make yourself not be expressive well then you're kind of making it about yourself still you know just thoughts that are going through my head i do want to say you know you you brought this up also when you were talking about the word um i'm sure being a worship pastor when you do want to see people raising their hands and being more expressive you know There's a good and bad way to do that, too. You know, I'm not even a worship pastor, and I know that. Like, I've seen people who are really like, come on, let's give a shout for Jesus. I'm not really a fan of that one. Uh, Give a shout for Jesus. And I, I want to, I don't know if he listens to the show, but our worship pastor, Daniel Asher, he's done... I think a pretty good job over the years of sometimes he does a little bit of that, like make a joyful noise, raise your hands, whatever. But every once in a while, he'll do like his own little mini devotional series during, during the service Mm -hmm. where similarly to like what this book is of like trying to help everyone understand like what worship is, what is liturgy, what is praise and trying to move people that direction of, being more comfortable, being more expressive. And I think that's a very good way to do it to teach the body of Christ, you know, because there's going to be people who are old school, traditional, whatever you want to call it, who are just going to be a little bit more, no, that's not, more than it's not for me, that's wrong kind of mentality. And to have a proper place to show from scripture of, Some expression is good. We're not asking for flags here, but, you know, get your hands up a little bit. That's a good thing, too.
1: I think the most important thing for the worship pastor to do is to shepherd the people. That's the whole point behind pastoring, right? And um, I think it's important to... If you want to tell your congregation that it's okay to do it, that if they feel comfortable, they can, then that's good. But um, not to look down upon those that don't want to do it. Um, Just trying to teach them that, hey, this is biblical. People do this in the right heart most of the time. There's some people that do it in a bad heart, but for the most part, this is coming from a heart of worship for God. And this is okay. You don't have to do it if you're not comfortable, but this is okay.
0: Let's go ahead and move on now to our second word. Uh, this is all right. Here we go. Zamar, Zamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, this comes from Psalm one forty four nine. I'll uh, go ahead and read that for us. I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will sing your praise with a ten stringed harp. So this this. For uh, this word for uh, praise focuses on the instrument. So we have one that focuses more on like the motion that you are doing in worship. There's other ones here that are a little bit more like specific towards thankfulness or things like that. This one is a focus on the instrument to make music, to celebrate in song. It's used uh, 41 times throughout the Psalms. Um, I thought this one was kind of funny because when Chris Tomlin got to his part, he just talked about instrumental praise. Just, you know, no words, just playing a song to God. Um, Music is very powerful, is like the very simple thought here that we're going with in this chapter, is that music is very powerful. And there's two questions that are raised. Uh, One's good for me and one's good for you. Uh, If you're not musical, how does music prepare you to worship God? And if you are a musical, when was the last time you just played for God? So I'm going to throw it to you now, and I want you to chime in on this word a little bit, but then talk to us a little bit about this idea of just playing for God.
1: Yeah, Darren, he writes, Music is more powerful than we ever understand. It can soften our hearts, soothe our troubled souls. It opens the door to the spiritual world. It paves the road for the Spirit's coming. Um, and he list this verse psalm 7 verse 17 which actually uses the word we just talked about i will praise yada the lord according to his righteousness and i will sing praise Zamar, or however you pronounced it <laughs> to the name of the lord most high um simply it's worship playing a song um and it's actually been a while since i sat and played on my own i've practiced for different songs but just to simply play it's been a while but i think uh It's very cathartic. Uh, Some people find working out or running cathartic. Some people find uh, writing and journaling cathartic. I tend to find playing my guitar very cathartic, and it just calms you and it prepares your heart for uh, talking to God or even journaling sometimes. I can go from uh, playing on the guitar to journaling and just calming the heart.
0: Yeah, broadly broadly speaking, there is something about... Um, artistic expression in general that can be very helpful towards worship or can in of itself be an act of worship you know I have talked about here on the show before that um, the whole process of preaching the, the studying the writing and the getting up there and doing it to me that is all an act of worship. I am declaring the word of God. I'm declaring truth to a congregation, yes. And that is an important thing in of itself. But the the my process part, spending time in prayer, looking for guidance from the Holy Spirit, and even how I go up there and preach the message is all very, as you said, cathartic for me as well. But it's all very like I am expressing my worship to God through my motions, through my, um, my giftedness in this. And I don't know if th- this might be a principalized way to talk about this word, but I think that, you know, artistic expression is powerful. Music is powerful. You know who else said almost verbatim that quote from Darren Bono? Bono has actually has a very similar. So. I got to do, I got to do like a whole series on Bono, Bono at some <laughs> the point, summer. the Bono, summer of Bono that will bring in the people.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Um, we got going to plug a book and then I got to give a danger cause I gave a danger in the last one. So I want to plug the rhythms of grace book again. Uh, if you want to organize your service so that way it reflects the gospel entirely and it leads the people all the way to, uh, Jesus Christ salvation for us. Right before the sermon read rhythms of grace um, that leads to the danger though music is obviously so powerful and there's a famous TikTok I tend to quote it because it was very very uh, enlightening there was a youth group student that went to a Taylor Swift concert and they said they never realized that they truly didn't worship God until they went to a Taylor Swift concert and experienced the same emotion that they thought they were worshiping God with and that is very very true Music could be very manipulative. So it's important for us to get our theology correct and to get the heart of the matter correct first before we try and use music to worship God.
0: And that brings me to uh, the question that is more so addressed to those of us who are not musical of how does music prepare you to worship? I, I've had those kind of experiences before of I am having a emotional, spiritual yes and, whatever, response to something that I shouldn't or it's odd that I am. I don't know if you knew this about me. I think Claire knows this. One of my favorite songs of all time, a song that somehow triggers this kind of a response that you're talking about here with this TikTok, is Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. I love that song. And there is something that like, There is something that happens. A song about shooting up a school. Uh, This is not lost on me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And similar, very similar to the Taylor Swift situation. A few years ago, Claire and I saw Panic at the Disco in concert. Mm -hmm. And it's a good show. Like, Brendan Urie puts on quite the performance, walking around singing "Death of a Bachelor." He's got fire. He's does the backflip off of the bass drum. But there's this one part where they he's playing. I think it's "Dying in L.A." He's doing. He's playing it on the piano, and he's like over here. And they lift up the piano by a crane, and he's playing the song overhead of everybody as they're moving him back to the stage. And I had this moment of like, like, awe, and it wasn't the fact that like, there's a flying piano, but like something about the atmosphere, the song all caused like this moment of awe. And that's not even like remotely near the top of my favorite panic at the disco songs. That's like, I, I, sometimes I forget that was even a song by them. It's a good song, but it's like, not like one of my favorites at all. Um, but it, it is very like, what is going on here? I think there can be times where God can speak to us through things that are more secular, for lack of a better term. Um, we saw Jason Gray in concert a few years ago, and part of his like coming to Jesus was a song by S- Simon and Garfunkel, who are two very not religious people, you know, or like... You know, we just brought up Bono with U2, who's kind of got this blended of, like, sacred and secular music. R.E.M. sometimes has these songs that kind of blur the line. Even Christian artists, like John Foreman with Switchfoot, Reliant K, all those groups that we liked growing up who aren't around anymore. Um, R.I.P. You know, it is, it's a very, again, music is a very powerful thing. And that's a good and dangerous and complicated thing.
1: It's very complicated, and that's kind of the argument for the old-school people. Don't raise your hands. Don't bring in all these instruments because then it's all about emotion, right? Um, On the opposite end, uh, like you said, God can use anything. God can draw people in through anything. Um, Granted, you have to be careful about what you listen to. Um, But if we're so – the challenge is if we're so excited at a concert – and we are so excited at a sporting event that we're going to throw our hands in the air, and oh my goodness, this guy got the touchdown, you know? We're screaming our full heads off, but we get to church and we show no emotion at all, then there's a problem. And that gets down to the heart of the matter.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, When it comes to this idea of how does music prepare you to worship, I also think um, there is something about... Well, let me ask you. Do you think genre plays a factor in that at all because i have noticed i made a little bit of a joke there a moment ago about how all the good bands are gone um i have noticed that with the change in popular music within ccm uh and worship like what is the focus in a lot of worship songs that it it's hard for me to engage with the new music. I'm suddenly old and having a hard time connecting with, with God and with community through the newer music. There are some people that are more like on the uh, singer songwriter side, like Jenny and Tyler, JJ Heller, um, Andrew Peterson, who their style of writing and music is connecting with me because not only do I like the the style of music, but the theology is a little bit better as well, I think. So do you think that plays a factor in this too? Definitely. I think some people connect to the songs, the more modern
1: songs. I mean, worship is an entire category now of music. Um, the more modern songs um, that are more about me. Right, They're more about the person themselves, and that's why they get more emotional towards them because I've been through this journey, I've been through this pain, and then God brought me out of it sort of thing. Um, I think I talked about it last time I was on the show for worship specifically, not the movie times, but for worship where if my personal conviction is if we're going to sing on Sunday, then the songs better be about God alone. Um, I feel like maybe you can make some exceptions here and there, but... Now, plugging back to the other book, go pick up a copy of Doxology and Theology (laughs) because then you'll get your theology right behind each song and behind what your set should look like on Sunday morning.
0: Okay, we're just going to keep coming back to these books. I do like that The Rhythms of Grace has like a um, like order and like transitions as well. Those are so helpful. Those kind of books are so helpful. I have the Nelson's Minister's Manual, which is just... It gives you, like, it's for all of us non high liturgical people who are, it's like, here's an outline for funerals, weddings, gravesides, the whole, you know, blessings, different things like that. All right, well, why don't you take us to our final word for this episode?
1: Word number three is Tehillah, which is laudation, a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. And it says, Psalm 22, verse three, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises, of Israel, so it could be translated: "You are wholly enthroned in the new songs of Israel." And I mean, the Book of Psalms there's lots of lots of songs that David sang. We say in the New Testament, Mary was so excited to be the mother of Jesus that she had this whole joyful song about Jesus Christ alone. Um, oftentimes throughout Scripture, they just break out new songs. Paul was in jail and he started singing these new songs. And that's oftentimes where Christian songwriters come up with another song. I heard uh, Phil Wickham and Brandon Lake did a little video about how they write music. And most of Phil Wickham's album, Living Hope, didn't come from the studio or didn't come from uh, journaling and writing and stuff like that. It came from performing at different concerts. Um sometimes spontaneity can be practice about what you're going to say beforehand. Um, but oftentimes the new songs come just in the randomness. Uh, I can't remember the, the song now, but Phil Wickham was saying he was on tour for one of his acoustic, uh, nights of worship sessions and he was singing, um, this is amazing grace. And then they slowed it down and the person he was on tour with began singing a new song about who is this King? Who is this King? His name is Jesus. Uh, he's a light of the world. I can't remember the name of that song. Um, but then Phil took that and turned it into a brand new song. And that's actually what Chris Tomlin talks about. Uh, in his section, he was, uh, hanging out with Pat Barrett who doesn't ever get credited for it, but they were hanging out together and Pat and his friend presented, uh, just this section, his friend, had written, "You're a good, good father." It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. And then Pat Barrett ran with it and came up with the song that was super popular in churches a couple years ago, and comes up every Father's Day. <laughs> good, good father. And I mean, I know I just made a joke, but seriously, um, to Hilla, just the Hebrew word for a spontaneous song.
0: Good, good father. Yeah, it does come up at Father's Day. Not what, not what the song is about, but you know, good try, everybody. This is an interesting word, um, this idea of, well, even this idea of a new song. You're right. This comes up, you know, Miriam, Moses, they all just like started singing these new, this brand new song, Holy Spirit filled moment, and just singing these songs that are forever canonized in our scriptures, you know, or, you know, you have the Magnificat with Mary, this like, this beautiful moment of just... Worshipping God and thinking so lowly of herself, and being brought into this moment, and you know, looking forward to the birth of of the Messiah, just and it, it even comes up. I think this is like a in the Book of Revelation as well. The creatures are gathered around the, the four living creatures are gathered around the throne, uh, singing to God in a, in a new song. You know, and even like the term "new song" shows up in different worship songs i believe new song is the name of a worship group as well um it's it is interesting this like this is where spontaneity and obviously i'm gonna beat you to the punch there's a dangerous side to to spontaneity um but this this idea of worship doesn't have to be completely rigid um that Worship, authenticity of art, you could even say, has to flow from a place... It has to flow from the heart. has to flow from a place that's willing to sometimes work outside the restrictions. Now, that gets complicated because... Again, I'm a worship leader, but I have used Planning Center before. I have seen I've worked with timesheets before. You know, seeing these, you know, worship service timed down to the moment, that doesn't allow for a lot of spontaneity, you know? Um, but there's been times where, you know, even in preaching, all of a sudden a thought comes to mind from something I had studied or heard later in the week that like kind of connects and you're kind of take a little bit of a detour from the notes to talk about this other thing, or, you know, just a whole new thing is laid on my heart. I think one time I showed up to a church with a message and called an audible and preached something completely different. When I got up there that has happened at least one time, like new song, spontaneity, it does happen and we do need to make room for it. But again, Again, this also can get into the extreme emotionalism side, the side that we also want to steer away from, of just chasing every rabbit trail and things are going on and on and on. Some worship leaders just don't know how to end a song. Verse, chorus, Bridge, 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 bridge. Just end the song. Enough already. Everyone is aware of the fact that there's like three verses to the song Awesome God by Rich Mullins, right? It's not just the chorus. <laughs> My goodness. So, yeah, I will I will let you, because I'm sure you've got a lot to say on spontaneity as well. So let's hear. One of the reasons I like this
1: uh, ch- section of the book, this chapter, is to the fact that um, Darren and Chris didn't say it had a specific place to happen. They're not saying it has to happen on Sundays or it has to happen um, in a concert. Uh, In fact, it can just happen simply like we talked about, when you're playing your music instrument or you're playing a song on the radio and then you stop and then you have a new song, an idea, a poem, right? Um, These can oftentimes just happen in your home. Um, The danger, right, is I think twofold. Uh, social media has made it very popular to post clips of people raising their hands and worshiping. And they also, uh, that means you're a good church, right? And there's also a clip going around of this group singing it in what appears to be like a gymnasium or something with their church. And the worship leader saying, you are really good bread. You're really good bread. You're really good bread. You're really good bread. And it goes on for like two minutes and people are just roasting them in the comments. Now we don't know what happened in between those, that whatever it is, 30 second clip. All we have is this girl singing over and over again. You're really good bread. So from the outside perspective, that's terrible, right? We do know theologically that Jesus is the bread of life, right? But what you've presented now on social media is that, Oh, look at how spontaneous we are. Look at how great we are. And then you get roasted for it because people are like, what is good bread? But like I said, we don't know what happened before and we don't know what happened after. Um, And to your point of some people don't know how to end a song. I think that also goes into the clip that I just talked about the real on Instagram. Um, Oftentimes worship leaders, they forget that they're supposed to lead the worship and they get caught up in the worship. And while there's nothing wrong in getting caught up in the worship yourself, obviously you're supposed to be worshiping God. Um, If you can't read the room and notice that the bridge has gone on for too long or the really good bread has gone on for too long and people are more focused on, like, when is this going to end, then I think you need to check yourself
0: the bread of god is bread bread is god is bread um another cringy uh this was actually predates reels and tiktoks i think was when oceans was popular and the really unnecessary drum solo. Do you remember that one? The really unnecessary drum solo that happened during the middle of oceans. That's like, this is really this, that might be a little bit more about what the word we just got done talking about, but it's really kind of like detracts from what we're, we're trying to do here and you are right we don't know you know it's a 30 second sound bite so who knows what happened before and afterwards but that also does go to jesus in the sermon on the mount when he's talking about just before he starts talking about the lord's prayer he's talking about you know this is how you are to pray and how you are to fast Mm -hmm. and one of the instructions on prayer and I think this also can apply here as well, is not to pray like the pagans who have vain repetitions is the word that comes up in Matthew chapter six. It's vain repetitions because how prayer worked for the, the pagan, uh, those worshiping the gods and goddesses was that you were trying to manipulate the gods to do what you wanted. So you would just say, give me bread, we'll just keep with the bread. Give me bread, give me bread, give me bread, give me bread, give me bread. bread. Just do this vain repetition until finally the gods would listen and give you bread. And although we should bring our petitions to God, we should pray to God and we should pray frequently for things. You know, we have recently in the, uh, my wife's family has experienced a bit of a tragedy and we've been praying frequently for her family. Um, there's a difference between praying const- praying frequently for something and trying to con- just badger god to do what you want right. i think there is a different there there's a different posture there and it's the same with worship of you want to you should you know if you want to sing the chorus to awesome god a few mm-hmm. times that's one of the ones i sing to cooper to help him fall asleep at night <laughs> or during nap time um but also to just get like so lost in the haze eventually you're just saying words you're not like it stops being worship and we're just saying things over and over again i do like this idea of this being spontaneous worship new songs um in the home as well you know yeah, we I I don't sing new songs, but I, you know, like I said, I do sing to Cooper to help him fall asleep at nap time and I'm singing the chorus to Awesome God, Shout to the Lord, Deep Enough to Dream, um God is bigger than the boogeyman because that song is permanently ingrained in my brain. Like mm-hmm. um but then sometimes like I put on worship music during the day so we can turn off the TV and I've I have found myself in a place recently where I'm singing more and I don't know. I think it's a combination of different things, but just like I am enjoying, I am enjoying making my house a place where, uh, Cooper can feel safe and Cooper knows that it's okay to sing and to dance. The little guy producer Cooper loves to dance when music comes on. Um, he's got the goofiest dance moves, but he does like dancing. Um, But that's the kind of home that I want to create where my son feels free to express himself and free to worship God when he wants to and not to be so restrained to like, this is the moment when we're going to do the thing. We were joking. Claire was putting producer Cooper to bed here. And uh, she's a good mom. She reads him a story. She sings him and puts him in her bed, puts him in his bed. But before the song, she prays with Cooper. Cooper's not even two, but we're already, you know, here's, here's prayer and she'll pray and we're praying for grandma and this aunt and this uncle. And then Cooper starts in the middle. It's like every night, it's not just what happened tonight. It's like every single night, Cooper in the middle of the prayer, he, he, I guess he starts. I don't know. He's either starts, he either starts or he's stalling one or the other, um, but it's just kind of cool, you know, in the innocence of like, I'm going to now chime in. We're talking, so I'm going to chime in now.
1: Yes, I don't think I have anything more to say. Um, I, I know both of us kind of went into the dangers. They didn't really go into the dangers in this book, but uh, you should definitely check this book out. There's four other verbs we didn't talk about, four other words. And additionally, Chris Tomlin's personal stories about his songs are really cool to see. Um, Like Brandon said, Chris has always been the worship leader, the guy that writes all the worship songs, or he performs all the worship songs and brings them into uh, the world for us. Uh, He's kind of transitioning out. I think Phil Wickham is kind of taking over that, not to say spotlight, but kind of taking over that position as this generation's Chris Tomlin. But um, definitely check out the book. And uh, I just want to wrap up with one quote from the book that I like that was a favorite theologian of mine A.W. Tozer he writes true worship that is pleasing to God creates within the heart a spirit of expectation and insatiable longing
0: agreed that is a good that is a good place to close things on and uh, I think I speak on behalf of everybody in the room when I say I think I'm cool with Phil Wickham picking up the torch there you go go. that's that's where we're gonna go with so (laughs) Anyway, um, so thank you again, Bradley, for dropping in to talk about this book here today. And thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us here uh, for this episode. As always, you can go into the link or you can go into the description of this episode to find links for all the important things. Again, if you head on over to the MSL website and click resources, it might not be up there immediately following this episode, but. Uh, there will be a link in the resources section to find this book and pick up a copy for yourself. We, I guess we'll have to have Bradley back three more times to talk about these other ones, although he did plug them quite a bit. Um, and there's all the other important things there in the description as well. If you would like to financially support the show, then you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash mslpod. You can make a one-time donation. You can donate towards our fundraiser to get me a new laptop. Commissions are now open where you can order a digital study guide out of one chapter out of the New Testament. Hand, well, not handwritten, hand typed and researched by me, not by AI or some other, you know, robot of one of our robot overlords, it will be by me. Um or you can support the show monthly. Everyone who supports the show at the nine dollars a month level gets a shout out here on the show. So thank you, Lori, for supporting the show. Speaking of robot overlords, great segue, right? Next week on the show, Joe Day will be back, and we are going to talk about something that's very culturally relevant and relevant to our topic. Should we be using AI for ministry? We really get into the philosophy, theology, and history of AI and ministry. Don't laugh, folks. It's happening churches around there's churches who have used ai to not just write sermons but also have them preached so the terminators are here folks and we're gonna talk about them but until next time this is brandon signing off reminding you as always that theology is for everyone so keep on studying